The date is January 23rd, 2023. At the date of this podcast release, that was just 10 days ago. In a remote corner of northern Somalia, in the dark of night, U.S. Special Forces troops bumped along in a military helicopter. The soldiers had been training for this mission for months. Large parts of the desert country of Somalia were still under the control of warlords, and the lack of government presence had made the country an easy home for terrorists. Terrorists like the target of today's raid, Bilal al-Sudani. Sudani was a key operative in ISIS, helping to spread the network all across Africa. Like so many others before him, he had found the no-man's land of Somalia a welcome base for his operations. But that was all about to end. The American soldiers readied themselves in the chopper. Coming into sight via night vision was their target, a cave opening in the mountainous landscape. The helicopter touched down and the troops went into action. With the benefit of night vision, the soldiers easily outgunned their opponents. Within a short period, 10 ISIS militants lay dead. Al-Sudani was among them. And now, you might be asking, why are we talking about this raid in Somalia? What does this have to do with Haiti? Somalia is not dissimilar from Haiti now. In fact, let's compare the two. In Somalia, the government is fractured and government control of their 17 million person population is tenuous at best. Both Haiti and Somalia joined South Sudan as the only countries in the world currently suffering from famine. 41% of Haiti is in acute hunger, 39% of Somalia. Somalia may actually be in better shape with a recently elected parliament and president and a 15,000-man army. Haiti, similarly sized, has no elected officials and no military. And while some 20% of Somalia is under control of their largest terrorist group, Al-Shabaab, nearly 100% of the Haitian capital is under the control of gangs, with little to no government presence elsewhere. Okay, so Haiti and Somalia are not so different. But I want to take this from another point. I'm going to list a number of countries, and we can try to determine what they have in common. Somalia, Niger, Syria, Iraq, Yemen, the Philippines, Lebanon, Jordan. Any thoughts? Now, if you guessed it, you're right. All of these have U.S. combat troops deployed within their country. And yet, I'm sure almost no American knows this. Even more, I would be willing to bet that most Americans don't know that the U.S. forces had a raid in Somalia 16 days ago. The situation in these countries is not Afghanistan, where we had 110,000 troops. Let's take Syria, for example. We currently have 900 U.S. soldiers deployed. And these primarily advise and assist our Kurdish allies in the fight against ISIS. Or we can talk about Niger. This West African country has over 1,000 American troops. And that includes both drone operators and special forces. These soldiers are fighting terrorist cells in Western and Central Africa that threaten the stability of the region and are part of the reason for the massive migration swings into Europe. Or, you could look at Iraq today. It's obviously not what it was 15 years ago, but yes, to my surprise, we still have U.S. troops in Iraq. It's about 2,500 troops, and these troops are not like the soldiers of yesteryear fighting for control of Fallujah. They're present only to advise and assist the Iraqi military to maintain stability. And you might say, why do we have U.S. troops spread around the world? Shouldn't this not be our problem? Well, perhaps, but I think our leaders in the State Department realize that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. 1,000 or fewer troops is tiny compared to Vietnam or other major U.S. wars, 
which often involved millions of troops. And it's important to note that these troops are rarely put into actual combat. They're there to strengthen and train the militaries of our allies. All of these conflicts are fought in collaboration with the government of the country. Let's take Somalia again as an example. Besides being a humanitarian crisis, Somalia is a no-go zone where terrorist organizations can sprout up. Also, as its population is terrorized and threatened with drought and famine, they increasingly flee abroad, contributing to the migration crisis across the Mediterranean to Europe. The Somali government has welcomed the assistance of U.S. troops, even applauding their most recent raid to kill al-Sudani. It's because we work so closely together. It could not be more different than the U.S. overthrow of the Taliban in Afghanistan. But with a small contingent of troops, mostly supporting the Somali army, we're able to allow humanitarian supplies to flow, cutting down on immigration and famine. And these examples clearly have implications for Haiti today. If the U.S. were to do anything in Haiti, it would likely be an assistance of the struggling Haitian National Police. In fact, Haiti has publicly made a call begging for countries like the United States to send a rapid action force to back them up. The U.S., for their part, has sponsored legislation with the United Nations, hoping that countries will step up to do just that. And yet, nothing has happened. Unfortunately, every day that is wasted, the Haitian National Police becomes weaker and weaker. And with each passing month, the job of any reinforcing military will become harder and harder. At some point, if nothing is done, there will be no Haitian police to reinforce. Haiti will cease to have any protective force. In January alone, there were two incidents that can only be described as massacres of Haitian police officers trying to do their job. In the first incident, a small patrol of police officers were pinned down by a gang near the previously wealthy area of Port-au-Prince known as Pechenville. They begged and begged over their radios for backup. None came. Much later, once the coast was clear, a large SWAT team was sent in to recover their colleagues' lifeless bodies. Just five days later, a gang attacked a police station, killing six officers in the raid. In response to feeling like lambs for the slaughter, the police took to the streets. They invaded the prime minister's house and ransacked it. They entered the Port-au-Prince International Airport in hopes of capturing him on his way back from the United States. Gunfire reigned throughout the capital. The police force is now on the verge of breaking. When I think about the deterioration of Haiti's native police force, as a doctor, my mind turns to heart failure. Heart failure is a disease that is characterized by the inability of the heart to pump out blood to meet the needs and demands of the body. So blood starts to back up from the heart, like water behind an ineffective pump. It is incredibly common, maybe 6 million people in the United States. But because it's so common, we have developed excellent treatment. As doctors, we have nearly a dozen medications available that are each proven to improve the lifespan in people with this disease. The amount of patients cured of heart failure is so common that I regularly see it as a distant issue in the medical record. However, as with so many diseases, if heart failure is ignored, it can reach the point that these medications are no longer effective. As it weakens, the heart tries in vain to beat harder and harder to keep up with the demands of the body. Slowly, it begins to wear out, and things become irreversible. The blood pressure becomes too low, and the body can no longer tolerate any medication to strengthen the heart itself. We call this stage D heart failure. And once you're at this level, the only true curative treatment is heart transplant. Unfortunately, every day the international community waits, the harder the task becomes. If the Haitian National Police disintegrates fully, we are in stage D. 
the United States will have no option but to do a metaphorical transplant. The nice plan of having 1,000 soldiers as a reinforcement won't be an option. If we don't want an anarchy gang state off our coast, we will have to build a government and a police from scratch. This is the last episode in this six-part series on interventions in Haiti. After this, we'll change the topic. But before we go, I don't want to sound desperate, but the situation could not be more extreme. At the request of the Haitian government, we will need to give assistance, robust assistance. If we have any hope of salvaging a semblance of order in Haiti, we will need to do what we have done in nearly a dozen countries across the globe. And this is so common for America that we sometimes forget we even do it. We can be good allies in building up security for our neighbors, partnering with their own military forces so that they can stand on their own two feet. The United States, it's often criticized around the globe, but moments like this are when the United States can use its considerable weight to do good around the world. <laughs>